We are wrapping up a series today that's called Rooted in Faith and Wrapped in Love. If you're, uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, it's a series that's based on a book in the New Testament, a little passage of scripture in the New Testament, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 3 to 11. There's a list in there that Peter gives of all the things that we should make every effort to achieve in our lives uh, so that we can honor God with our lives. And we've been looking at these virtues all the way through. And I found it really interesting that the ladies were looking at the fruit of the Spirit at the same time because Paul's list is a very Jewish list and Peter's list is a very Greek list. And there's some overlapping ones, but then there's some different ones that we're not used to. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to see how we can develop these in our lives. Um, the point of the series is that everything we do in our life as Christians should spring out of our faithfulness to God in Jesus Christ. Everything is rooted in faith. Everything starts there. The reason we do these, we, we try to achieve these virtues is not so that we can be really good shiny people and be proud of ourselves but it's because it's faithfulness to God who created us. And the end goal of all of this is love. If these virtues don't point towards love, there's no point. Paul knew that in 1 Corinthians 13. That's why when he talked about spiritual gifts, he talked about love right in the center of it. And Peter knew this by putting love, agape love, at the very final place of his list. But today we're looking at the second last term in that list called mutual, in my version anyways, I'll get into it in a bit, mutual affection. Strangely enough, there's a name for this, and it's called Philadelphia. Now, when you hear the word Philadelphia, when you think of the city of Philadelphia, various things may come to mind. So I was kind of just surveying this and thinking about the reputation that Philadelphia has as a city. And so I have some pictures to put up to show you. Um, you may think of Rocky on top of the steps at the Museum of Modern Art, at the training montage, throwing his arms in the air. That's Philadelphia. That's rough and tough, and if you work hard, you can do it, Philadelphia. The next picture, um, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at you, Tina. We're talking about uh, Philly's finest, Kyle Lowry, the bulldog of the Raptors. What he, what's he known for? He's known for being tough. He's known for even though he's short by basketball standards, he's a point guard that can get in there and bump and bang with anyone and get it done because Philadelphia is tough. And maybe you've even thought about this next person who was born and raised in West Philadelphia. And, uh, sorry, I had to do that. Okay, don't go to the next slide yet. I want to see, I want to see if you can place this next one. I was bruised and battered. I couldn't tell what I felt. I was unrecognizable to myself. Saw my reflection in a window and didn't know my own face. Oh brother, are you going to leave me wasting away? Can anyone finish that? On the streets of Philadelphia by? Right on, I got that on the next slide. Bruce Springsteen, Streets of Philadelphia. What? It's a movie that he wrote and it's a rough and tumble, hard life movie. I can't say that I've seen the next one because I haven't, but on the next slide, there's been this famous film that came out that I'm 
probably not going to watch because it's not the most edifying of movies, but it's the latest gangster movie, The Irishman, was set in Philadelphia. There's a legal series set in Philadelphia called How to Get Away with Murder. Are you starting to see the reputation of Philadelphia? When you think of Philadelphia, what you think about? And in case you forgot from an earlier sermon, I had to bring it back. Um, gritty. The mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. Philadelphia has a reputation as a city of being rough and tough and gritty. What about the cheesesteak? Okay, I didn't go to food. Okay, cheesesteak. It's rough and tough and gritty with cheesesteak. There we go. <laughs> What did the Romans ever do for us? That's what I'm not going through. <laughs> and it's ironic that Philadelphia has the name, that, that reputation of being rough and tough, because what's the, the, the catchphrase of their city is Philadelphia, the, the city, city of brotherly love. And that's because the actual word Philadelphia means brotherly love or mutual affection, the virtue we're looking at today. Um, last week we looked at godliness. I'm not going to talk about that now because I'm going to kind of review, give an overview of the whole series uh, at the end of this message. But today we are called by Peter in God's word to put every effort into developing, growing in our lives, mutual affection or brotherly love or Philadelphia. For this reason, you must make every effort. This is the last morning you're going to have to hear me emphasize those words. Make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being idle and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make all the more effort to confirm your call and election. Now, to understand what this word mutual affection means, you have to start thinking about a question. What would you do for people in your family? How far would you go to care for people in your family? You know that expression, right? Family is family. As I was thinking about family and the love that exists between family, I was thinking of, uh, uh, and, and now that I'm going to Cuba, I was thinking of an unsuccessful mission trip that I once did. <laughs> when I was in Bible college, they had this, these teams that would go out and they called them Youth Force because in the 90s that sounded cool. So we, we'd go out to all these different places in teams and we would do mission work for a week all over, all over um, Ontario and out to the East Coast and different places in Canada. So we'd, we'd put the work in. And so I was on a team that was going to Moose Factory. That's, that's north. That's really north. To get there, we had to drive from Peterborough to Cochrane. And then from Cochrane, we were supposed to hop, I say supposed to, hop on the train to go all the way up to Moose Factory, which is on the shores of, well, just down from James Bay, about 10 kilometers. And I was so excited for this trip. It was, I, I was picturing this complete cross-cultural experience. It was so different. And we had two, two um, vans 
packed full of people that were heading north. So we had the two of us uh, setting out, and they were rental vans. That's key. We were driving out in these rental vans. Well, it started to snow. It was a March break trip. It was a reading week trip, right? So it started to snow. It got snowier and snowier and snowier, and I'm not sure if there were snow tires on the rental at that time. But we came to this one corner in the road. We were the vehicle in the back at this point, and uh, the driver turned to go left to follow the corner, and the car just didn't turn at all. It just went woo! Dukes a hazarded it right off the road into a fence in a farmer's field. We're like, oh. So we call, well, that, that kind of slows down our mission trip. And, but anyways, we called, we called the tow truck, we got towed out, and it turned out the vehicle was still drivable. So we're like, nothing's going to prevent us from serving the Lord in Northern Ontario. So we started off on the road again. On the road again. <laughs> or I could do Johnny Cash, right? I've been to. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tim. Um, so we started off on the road again, we started driving. Of course, we're way behind the times. We drove all through the night. And as it started to get light out, we were driving up towards uh, Mattawa, Ontario. Matheson, Ontario, mix the two up. Further north, Matheson, Ontario, way up there. And it had snowed up there too. And so the highway, it was bitterly cold and the highway was snowy ice packed. We were the vehicle behind, there was a van in front of us, and there was a transport truck, and because we were, they, they were, I guess, were in such a rush to make the train, because we'd wasted so much time with our first car accident, we figured, well, why not do a second car accident? <laughs> so the vehicle in front decided to pass a transport truck on ice-packed roads, doing a buck twenty, and it, we, were, we were nervous with the way the lead vehicle was driving. Well, I wasn't driving, I was just hanging out with my friends. But. So they, they pulled up beside the transport truck, they pulled up in front of the transport truck, and just as, a, as, as they started to go back, I don't know if it was the wind or the ice or the, what it was, but the vehicle started spinning, going fast. The, the lead van hit the snowbank at the side of the road, right side up and backwards. So backed into it basically, slammed into it. It popped up in the air and landed facing forward on its roof. So backwards on its wheels, that way, forward on its roof. Landed on top of the snowbank and it went for about 50 meters plowing through the snow and we, we pulled over and we're running back to see what had happened and uh, everyone was okay in the end. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to keep you in suspense there. But the, uh, the windshield had caved in, and the person in the passenger seat in the front was, was encased in snow with glass. So we had to dig her out, and she had a cut on her head. Surprisingly, even the person that was sleeping, bench style, <laughs> in the van, did okay. <laughs> we, we were all right. So we make it to the church, and there was a church in Matheson that was gracious to us, and they welcomed us into their homes because we knew we weren't making our train at this point. And uh, they, were having, they just happened to be having a pig roast that night. So we jumped in on it and had a pig roast. And, but the problem was, and taking a long time to get to the point this morning, I don't know why. The problem was, the person that was driving that car still wanted to go to Moosonee, still wanted to go to Moose Factory. And 
he was the only person that was of age that was allowed to drive a rental vehicle. And none of us trusted going with him any further. <laughs> so it, we had this difficult decision to make and I called my parents, family, right? Who do you turn to at times like this? Called my family, said, um, so everyone's okay, but <laughs> that's the, how you break news like that. And I explained what had happened. I'm like, I, I'm not sure what to do. And uh, my dad said, oh, we'll be there in eight hours. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's about eight hours away. I'm like, oh, okay. And so my parents hopped in the vehicle. They drove the eight hour up and the eight hour back, 16 hour round trip at the drop of a hat to pick up their son and some friends that didn't want to continue on this, trusting the other person that was driving. But what would you do for your family if they were in trouble? How far would you go? I thought it was pretty amazing at the time that my parents just dropped everything and ran. But now that I'm a parent, I would drop everything and run, right? It's what you do. Family cares for each other. There's, there's, there's a connection that's deep and profound. And when people in the ancient Greco-Roman world used the word Philadelphia, it primarily meant that that closeness and love that exists among family members. The sort of family that would do anything for someone who is in trouble. You've probably heard the proverb, blood is thicker than water. That means that even if you go overseas, your family's bonds are strong. You may have heard the country song. See, I started with Bruce Springsteen, so I should probably go a little more country with Casey Musgraves. I think I've shared this before in church, actually, but it always makes me smile. Family is family, in church or in prison. You get what you get, and you don't get to pick them. They might smoke like chimneys, but give you their kidney. Yeah, friends come in handy, but family is family. Right? Family, there's a closeness. There's a, there's a, and this word Philadelphia, it implies that closeness, but it also talks almost about an obligation. Like, it's beyond just we would do anything for our family. It also carries the sense of, yeah, we are, we must do everything for our family. There's an obligation there for us to do it. Have you ever received a present and thought, oh no, now I'm gonna to have to figure out what to get them in return. You know how sometimes a present can, I never think like that, I just go, woohoo, present. But if you've ever, that, that sense of obligation that, oh, now I have to do something. Now I have to reciprocate in some way. Well, that sense of obligation runs in families all the time and it's always there. We, not only out of the love of our hearts, want to care for the people in our family, but even when that love may run out sometimes, there's an obligation that this is what we do because we're family and family is important. Philadelphia, that love that exists tightly within a family. Um, in case you're curious and a little bit geeky out there like me, um, philos is the Greek word that means affection or love and adelphoi is brothers. So philos, Adelphoi, Philadelphia's brotherly love. Just like philanthropy is philos and andros, which is uh, love for humanity, philanthropy. Anyway, sorry. Okay, that's enough. Let's move on to something more 
significant. So far we've established that mutual affection <coughs> in that culture referred to the bonds of love and obligation that existed within a family unit. Now Jesus is going to blow this up and make us wonder who our family is. Jesus was having a really busy Sabbath. And you can read about this Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. I don't have time to read through the whole thing today, so I'm not. You can read it on your own. I'm just going to give you the highlights here. He started the Sabbath, and this is one of the things I love about Jesus. He wasn't afraid <laughs> to stir up trouble on purpose. He, when I was young, I used to think that he did some of these things and just innocently. And, oh, people are mad at me. But no, he did it on purpose. He knew exactly. He knew right well what he was doing. And he started this one particular Sabbath day by walking through a grain field and plucking the heads of grain and munching on the kernels, which was a no-no on the Sabbath for the Jewish people. Jesus knew it wasn't that people would frown on it. He did it intentionally to stir up trouble. And so he does this, and it leads to this big blow-up of a controversy. And as this controversy is happening, he walks into the synagogue, because on the Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue, just like on Sunday we go to church. Jesus walked into the Sabbath on the synagogue, and he sees a person there, it says, with a withered hand. So he had some, some deformity in his hand. And what does Jesus do? He knows full well that he's already in trouble for plucking grain, but he's like, be healed, and his hand becomes well. And they're like, why didn't you wait till tomorrow? <laughs> that was their response. Not, that person's hand is... It was, why couldn't you wait till tomorrow? That was the response. So there's another controversy. And there's a blow up in the synagogue. And it gets so intense that they're ready. Uh, in Matthew it says, to destroy him. So Jesus slips away. Yeah, that's probably enough of that. Of course, he can only slip away so far because there's people all around him. And on this very busy day when he's been arguing with the Pharisees and healing people, a person uh, comes to him and brings a person who is demon-possessed. And Jesus says, okay, I'll heal you too. Why not? I'm in it now. Why not just keep this, this string going? So he heals this person and, and they start arguing with him. The Pharisees find him again. Why would you do this? Why? Why? No, no godly person would do this because this is Saturday. We don't do this sort of thing on Saturday. You should know better than that. And Jesus at this point is just, you can only take so much, right? <laughs> Jesus is at the end of his rope and he's like, oh, good trees bear good fruit. What, what does he mean? I'm a good tree. Look at the fruit. People are becoming whole. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Who are the bad trees? Everyone is arguing with them. Because what are you doing? You're whining that I healed someone. So Jesus gets into this really frustrating argument in the midst of it, and it starts escalating. We already know that these Pharisees want to destroy Jesus. It's already getting more and more intense. And in the middle of it, Jesus' family shows up. His mother and his brothers show up. And we don't know why they showed up. I half wonder if they were embarrassed. Come on, Jesus, you're taking it a little too far this time. Let's go home. Or maybe, um, maybe it was just care for him. Like, if you keep poking the bear, you're going to get bit. Let's sneak out of here. Or maybe it was just physical 
care. Maybe it was just a mom saying, you know what, you've had a very busy day. You haven't had anything to eat since you plucked the grain you weren't supposed to, so here's a picnic. I don't know why the family came, but the family showed up in the middle of this heated argument to try to rescue him. And I'm going to read this scripture exactly the way it is now so you can hear what happened. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who told them this, Jesus replied, he turns around. He's been told that his, his family's waiting for him. Jesus whips away from the argument and says one of the most insulting things you could say in that culture. Who's my mother? And who are my brothers? That's not what you do, right? That's not Philadelphia. Oh, I keep getting whiffs of the potluck. That's the perils of preaching on potluck Sunday. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus, this is so insulting because, I mean, Philadelphia, this is family. You do anything for family. You drop everything for family. This, the, on the surface, it sounds really insulting, but he goes on to say, pointing to his disciples, he said, oh, here's my mother. Here are my brother. Here are my sisters. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister. So on the surface, it sounds insulting. It sounds like Jesus was belittling his family, but what he was actually doing was something much more profound. In a similar way, do you remember when, when uh, uh, the person asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he basically said, it's way bigger than you think. Here he's saying, my family is way bigger than you realize. My family is everyone who is loyal to the Father. So in our day, we would say the church. Jesus is not saying, I don't like them, I'm going to pick these people instead. He's not prioritizing one over the other. What he's saying is, he's using this opportunity to teach that my family is the church. It's broad. It's big. So remember what Philadelphia was, right? It's a deep love that exists among family members. Jesus is extending our family beyond just our flesh and blood to the family of God, right? And so that Philadelphia that we naturally give to our family, that we would do anything for, we're called to give it to each other. We're called to extend that to the people in God's family, which is far broader than we realize. Every time I think of this theme, there's something that gets stuck in my mind. And I thought, why not bless you with it? So, Henry, if you wouldn't mind playing the video I have prepared, and we'll, just, we'll just see if you remember this. This might take you way back.
makes me chuckle that it's the only song I know that rhymes God with sod. <laughs> Fun fact. And as old-fashioned as that is, and to be truthful with you, it's not my favorite style of music of maybe yours, that is the message of Philadelphia from a Christian perspective. In the same way that we love our family, and when the love runs out, the obligation kicks in. In the same way that we would do anything for our family, Jesus expands our family to say we need to extend that same Philadelphia to each other. So the question is, how do we do that? And that's something for us to consider. How can you love the person sitting next to you the same way? Oh, you're cheating if you're looking at family members. <laughs> how can you love the person next to you the same way that you love your family? That's Philadelphia. Wrapping up this whole series, I just wanted to share with you Peter's sermon one more time and just reflect on where we've come from and then, then I will say grace and we can enjoy whatever that delicious smell is coming up the stairs. But just one, just one wrap up. This is the end of this series. Peter said, his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things precious and great promises so that through them you may escape the corruption that is in this world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. And that sounds fancy, uh, and the words are fancy, but if you reflect back, if you're here where we started this series, Peter's point is that this world is corrupt, not just in a moral, but in a physical way. We wear out. We need increasingly strong prescriptions. These bodies wear down, but God has given us everything we need in his divine power to live a different sort of life that's not caught up in corruption of the world. For this reason, make every effort to support your faith. And I said it this morning, I'll say it one last time. Faith is where everything begins as Christians. Our faithfulness to God in Jesus Christ is what all of the rest of our life springs out of. For this reason, make every effort to support your faith with goodness. We talked about funeral planning, right? Live so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. <laughs> we talked about the virtues, the sort of things we would want to be known by. 
and with goodness, knowledge. And not just packing a bunch of stuff into our heads, but a relational knowledge, a real deep understanding of God revealed in Jesus Christ that draws us, that, that pushes us out to love each other. And to knowledge, self-control. We talked about the creation story and how God said you are to have dominion over this and over that and over the other thing. And self-control is really having dominion over yourself. And we do it through small changes, through forming habits that redirect our lives. And self-control with endurance. I defined endurance as a stubborn resistance in the face of evil and suffering. And with endurance, godliness which is what we looked at last week and this Wednesday in our, in our small group, godliness is an awesome reverence toward our creator. That his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not our will be done on heaven as it is in earth. Right? It's that reverence toward God. And with, and, and with godliness, mutual affection, which is what we looked at today, Philadelphia, and with mutual affection, it all leads to, all these things lead to agape. Or love. The sort of love that God demonstrates to us and we return to God. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone lacks these things, he's short-sighted and blind, forgetting the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. Make all the more effort to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you'll never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. We make every effort to develop these things in our life. And in doing so, we become fruitful for God. We become the good trees that Jesus was talking about that bears good fruit, not the bad trees. I hope something over the beginning of this year has, has, has sparked your interest or, or challenged you to dig a little deeper on these virtues. And uh, let's pause now for a moment and pray and ask the Spirit of God to do the work that only He can do. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for showing us this path and that we can make every effort to be fruitful in this world. Lord, for all those virtues that are heaped up on top of each other, it can seem a little daunting when you read the whole list together. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would challenge us just on one or two things. That as we're going about our day-to-day -day life, we might see one of these virtues or something specific and think, yeah, I, I can work on that. That's something I can put effort into. Lord, if it's mutual affection, I pray that you'd help us to know how to answer that question. How, Lord, can we love each other in the church in the same way that we would extend our love and care for our family? Holy Spirit, uh, inspire our hearts to follow Jesus more closely to the glory of God the Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name.